Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Why do you go to church on Sunday mornings? At least for me, it's a special place for us to worship God. It's a place where we can learn His Word and we can be with other believers, have a great time of fellowship and worship of God. That's why the Jews, when they returned from exile, established synagogues so they would have a place where they could meet, hear the Word of God, worship Him, and fellowship. But that's not where God told them they were supposed to do. The main place for them to worship God is where God dwelt in Israel. And that's in the holiest city, the city of Jerusalem, and more specifically on the Temple Mount in the temple. That's where God dwelt with his people. Now, technically today, God indwells his people, the believers in Jesus Christ. So wherever we are, the temple of God is, according to 1 Corinthians six nineteen, And yet it's still special to go to church. When something happens in our lives, we want to go to church. We feel closer to God when we do. And that's how the Jews felt. Well, there's no Jewish temple there now. There hasn't been for 2000 years. We know prophetically that one must be built before Jesus Christ returns. So today we're going to see God's promises for a new temple that will be built before Christ's return. I'm Debbie Blank opening Revelation 11 with you with only two verses today, but they're important verses to help us understand God's purposes and plans for the future temple. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Some people wonder why Christians would care about the prospect of a new Jewish temple being built on the Temple Mount. After all, Jesus fulfilled all of the sacrifices for our salvation, and the Holy Spirit indwells his people. So why even appear to be taking sides in what is an international combustible issue? Well, we have an important prophetic reason for our interest. The Bible says a third temple will be built before Jesus' second coming. And remarkably, we are seeing preparations for the third temple. We may wonder how it will happen, but we don't doubt at all that it will happen, perhaps very soon. As I said earlier, the temple is the holiest site in Judaism. It's the place where God dwelt with his people in the Holy of Holies in the temple. The Jewish temples have always been built on the Temple Mount. At least that's what we call it. The Muslims call it something different. They call it the Haram al-Sharif. But the Jews call it the Temple Mount, as do we, because it is a mount. It's a flat mount with about 35 acres of ground that was built by King Herod to house the Temple of God back around the time of Jesus Christ. It's so important, though, because it didn't just come about with King Herod at the time of Christ. The Temple Mount is actually the place where Abraham sacrificed Isaac. It's Mount Moriah. You can read about that in Genesis 22. Then later, it's also called the threshing floor of Aruna. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, there was a plague that had taken place because of David's sin. And God stopped the plague from coming into Jerusalem right there on the Temple Mount, which was called the threshing floor of Aruna. And if we ever wondered if that piece of property belongs to the Jews, well, right there in 2 Samuel 24, it said David bought the threshing floor of Aruna. 
Well, he was a Jew, king of the Jews. Therefore, that land was purchased by the Jews. That is the holy site. And a lot of people believe, by the way, that that's where the Garden of Eden was. Because there are four rivers mentioned in Genesis regarding where the Garden of Eden was. One of those is the Gihon. The Gihon spring goes right underneath the Temple Mount. So it's very possible that could have been the Garden of Eden. But it is for sure that it's Mount Moriah, the threshing floor of Aruna. That's the Temple Mount, the holiest site. And because the last two temples were built there, the next one must be also. You've just given us a lot of reasons for why that land is very, very special. And even though it has been um, disputed, we do know, according to what you just said about the threshing floor and how David purchased that, that it belongs to the Jewish people. For all these reasons, it's important for the Jewish people to have had a temple there, and it's important for a lot of them to, to look ahead to try to have another temple there. But before the temple, there was something called the tabernacle. How are they similar and how were they different? The tabernacle was established by Moses, certainly by God first, who gave all the information to Moses. You can read about it in Exodus in the last dozen or so chapters about the instructions for the tabernacle and then the building of it. The tabernacle was laid out exactly as the first and second temple were and as the third temple will be. As far as measurements, not necessarily size, but as far as the measurements were laid out. The holy place, which is the front part of the temple, is more rectangular in shape, whereas the holy of holies, which is the backside, is square. You have that same dimension in the temple and in the tabernacle, just different sizes. But the tabernacle was a temporary place where God dwelt with the people. Still had the same articles in the tabernacle as were in the temple. Because what's fascinating about this is that the articles in the tabernacle, just as the articles in the temple, pointed to Jesus Christ. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, you have a door. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I am the door. As a matter of fact, every one of these I am's that I'm going to share with you are in the Gospel of John. Then you have on your right hand side, when you walk in the holy place, you have the table of showbread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. On the left hand side, you had the menorah or the lampstand. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. As you went forward, you had the incense table, which was right before the veil, which leads to the Holy of Holies. And Jesus is the sweet aroma of the knowledge of God in every place. So he fulfills that. Then you have the veil that separates the holy place from the Holy of Holies. It says in Hebrews 9 that Jesus is the veil. His flesh was torn as the veil was torn. You move into the Holy of Holies and there's only one article in there. That's the Ark of the Covenant. On the Ark of the Covenant is a mercy seat and on the mercy seat are two cherubim. Well, the mercy seat is called the propitiation in the New Testament. And that means the satisfaction, God's satisfaction over sin that Christ displayed for us on the cross. That is the holiest place on top of that Ark of the Covenant on the mercy seat where God consistently dwelt with his people in the tabernacle in the wilderness and then in the temple once it was built in Jerusalem. It's interesting to know that all of those things point to Jesus because as Christians, there is meaning in the temple for us and that he did fulfill all of those sacrificial elements 
And yet it was predicted well ahead of time. God always wanted his people to be pointed to Jesus. We know it was a special place, but how did they know that God gave his approval to that place? Because he met with his people there with fire by night and a cloud in the day. We're told in Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. How do we know that God dwells there? The glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory of God dwelt there. We see the glory of God in the temple also. As a matter of fact, in the book of Ezekiel, it tells us that the glory of the Lord was in the temple, and then the glory of the Lord left the temple. It's so interesting because it pretty well depicts what happened and what's going to happen in the future temples. So let's look for a minute at Ezekiel chapter 9, where it tells us in verse 3, Then the glory of the God of Israel went up from the cherub on which it had been to the threshold of the temple. That tells you there that when the temple was built, the glory of the Lord met there, right there where I said on the mercy seat between the cherubim or the cherub. And it says here that the glory of the Lord left. When did the glory of the Lord leave? It was when Israel was destroyed and the temple was destroyed in 586 BC because the book of Ezekiel is written during that time period. So it said that the glory of the Lord went up for the cherubim to the threshold of the temple, which is the doorpost of the temple. Then it tells us in 10, 18 and 19, the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple. And then it says it went to the east gate. That was the gate to the city. It tells us in verse 23 of chapter 11, the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain, which is east of the city, to the Mount of Olives. And the glory of the Lord departed because the temple was destroyed. That must have been horrifying to anybody who would have observed that and know that that would mean judgment was coming because the spirit of the Lord God would not be dwelling in some place that would be destroyed. So it left. Is it ever going to come back? First, we have to realize that the glory of the Lord did come back. It came back in the form of Jesus Christ. The glory of the Lord shone in the temple when Jesus came in on the eighth day to be circumcised. How do we know that? Because Simeon tells us that in Luke chapter 2, verses 30 and 32. It says, For my eyes have seen the your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of the people Israel. When Jesus came into the temple, the glory of God was now back in the temple, not in the Holy of Holies, but in the temple. Unfortunately, the people rejected Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean the glory is not going to return because it is. If you read Ezekiel 43, starting in verse 1, then he led me to the gate, the gate facing toward the east. So remember, when the glory of God left, it left from the eastern gate and then up to the Mount of Olives. Well, now the glory of the Lord's coming back. It says, Behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming by the way of the east, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. Verse 4, And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate facing toward the east. And then it says in verse 5, And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. The glory of the Lord is coming back through Jesus Christ's return, who will reign in the millennial temple on earth. 
That's what the Jews have been waiting for for a long time. Which still makes me wonder, now you've talked about a millennial temple. The temple in Revelation 11, 1 and 2, is that the millennial temple or is that something different? That's a good question. I would say it probably isn't, but it could be. Now let's go back a little bit of history. There have been two temples so far. Solomon built the first temple in 966 B.C., That temple lasted until 586 B.C. when it was destroyed by the Babylonians when they conquered Jerusalem and the city and destroyed the temple. Then you had the Jews returning to the land and rebuilding a second temple that was completed in 515 B.C. That temple became known as Zerubbabel's temple because he was the king in charge of building it. It was much smaller and not nearly as grandiose as Solomon's temple was, but it was the temple of God. We have no information that God ever came back into that second temple until Jesus came. He may have, but we don't see the glory of the Lord coming back there. But still, it was the temple of God. And in the Bible, way back in Exodus, God told Moses to tell the people that three times a year, all of the men were to come up to Israel and worship God during the three feast sections. There's seven feasts, but they're in three different sections. So we have the first temple. Then we have the second temple known as Zerubbabel's temple or the second temple. It was that second temple that Herod, when he came on as king, started rebuilding because it was in shambles. Herod was such a major builder that he didn't just rebuild it and refurbish it. He completely made it the most glorious temple it could ever be. So that at the time of Christ, it still wasn't completed yet. But at the time of Christ, it was a fabulous place where the Jews met and worshiped God. That temple, the second temple, Herod's temple, Zerubbabel's temple, it's called all three of those things. It was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. No temple exists today, so the Jews are meeting in synagogues, much like we meet in church, to worship God, but they can't offer sacrifices, and certainly God isn't dwelling there. There must be a temple built by the middle of the tribulation period, because Revelation tells us that, and so do other passages of Scripture. But is it the millennial temple? We're not sure of that, because the millennial temple, which is very specific as to how it will look according to Ezekiel 40 to 46. Maybe or maybe not the new temple that will be built for the tribulation period will look like that. I don't think that they'll be the same temples because I think the one that will be built for the tribulation will be much smaller than what God is calling for in the millennial kingdom. But it could be, just as it was in the second temple, that the people build the third temple And then it's expanded to meet the qualifications of the Ezekiel temple, which would make the third and the fourth temple the same temple, just different construction. It seems to be pretty natural that Jews who are in possession of Israel now and in possession of Jerusalem and in some ways in possession of the Temple Mount might be really, really longing to build that temple. Because as you said, those times that they had to go to Jerusalem, The ceremonies could only be done in the temple. They don't have really a place to do that anymore. And those are God's appointed days where it's on his appointment calendar. Very important. His holidays, not human holidays. There are people right now who are doing whatever they can to prepare to be able to build the next temple. There will be another physical temple. And we do know that some people are planning it. It tells us in Revelation 11, verses 1 and 2. Now, let me give you some context here. 
we are just about ready to come to the middle of the tribulation period as we read chapter 11. So we have finished the seal judgments and all of the trumpet judgments. This is the sixth trumpet judgment right in this area. And we're just about ready to come into the seventh trumpet, which is the middle of the tribulation. With that context in mind, it reads, And there was given me a measuring rod like a staff. And someone said, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. And leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it. For it has been given to the nations and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. So you really have two different thoughts here, but we're going to focus on the temple right now. John was told to go measure the temple. Well, this isn't unusual. In Zechariah 2, 1 through 5, the Zechariah was told to measure Jerusalem. And in Ezekiel 40, verse 5, Ezekiel was told to measure the new temple that was going to be built. So that's not unusual to measure. It means it's very important. God specifically wants us to know that the temple is going to be built. So in this case, he wants us to recognize we're going to have the temple. That means the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, which are housed in the one temple building. But outside of the temple, you're also going to have the altar, which means that there are going to be burnt sacrifices taking place again in Israel. And it says in verse one that there's going to be those who worship in it. He wants him to measure those inside the court. You can have Gentiles and women, but inside the temple, you can only have priests and the high priest. So he's also to measure people worshiping, which means there will be people worshiping God in this temple. Today, as I said, there is no temple on the Temple Mount. It's actually a bit of a problem because there's two Muslim mosques. One's called the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and that's where the Muslims worship on their holy day, Friday. The other one is the Ceremonial Mosque. It's right smack in the middle of the Temple Mount and has this great big, huge dome on it. In that mosque, no one worships at this point. Nobody's even allowed into it. So it really is more of an icon because all around Jerusalem, you see that golden dome, which tells you that that's a Muslim site. Well, it is a Muslim site. Now understand, Israel controls the land and Israel controls the security on the Temple Mount, but the actual Temple Mount is controlled or run by the Jordanian Waf, it's called which is a Muslim organization that has power and control over these mosques. Why, you might ask? Well, the reason is that the Dome of the Rock was built in 691 A.D. and the Al-Aqsa Mosque in 708, so they've been there a long time. When Israel gained control of all of Jerusalem, because when they first became a state in 1948, they only had part of Jerusalem, when they gained control of that, Moshe Dayan was the general, and he decided that the Muslims should maintain control of that since they had mosques up there and there weren't any other religious sites. The idea of putting a temple up there, building one up there, is impossible. Plus, if the temple is over the Dome of the Rock, they're not going to tear down the Dome of the Rock to put a temple there. There's a lot of people believe that there's a dome. It's called the Dome of the Spirits. It's just a little further north than the Dome of the Rock, which is actually the site of the Holy of Holies. If that's the case, then they could put a temple up there on that Temple Mount with the two mosques. And as impossible as it is, if you look around Omaha, we have the Tri-Faith Initiative. If you look in Abu Dhabi, they're talking about putting a, a Chrislam kind of a place where the Muslims and the Catholics will worship together. So it's very possible that some Antichrist might come along and convince people that we need to have an interfaith movement up on the Temple Mount. 
it certainly sounds like something that could potentially happen. We think about the political and the religious situation, which would be so explosive if the Jews said, hey, we're taking part of this and we're going to build our temple. But God has a plan, and we don't know exactly what that plan is going to be. We don't know how it's going to come about. But when we read in Revelation 11, he's told to measure something. It really does connote something that's physical. That the emphasis that I think that I see here is that there will definitely be a physical place, given details, exactly what to measure and what not to measure. There's something else to consider. In Daniel 9, 27, when the Antichrist comes on the scene, it says he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, which means he's going to force the Israelis into a covenant for seven years. It goes on to say in the middle of the seven years, he's going to put an end to sacrifices and grain offerings. That tells us they have to be doing sacrifices and grain offerings in the beginning of the tribulation period. That means that the temple could be built at any time. Right now, there's a temple institute in Israel that has built all the articles of the temple. They're just waiting for the opportunity to put them in the temple. The lead rabbis say the temple could be built in a year. It could be built in less than that if everything's prefabricated. So we could see a temple built at any time once the authority is given for the Jews to build a temple. We also see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the Antichrist will exalt himself, in verse 4 it says, above every so-called God or object of worship. So he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. That tells us there's going to be a temple in the end time because that's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation period. So this temple building is extremely important. It's important for Jesus Christ to return. It's important for the Jews to worship. We've been talking about the temple and the different conditions that need to be met for the temple to physically be built and how they're getting ready for those things. But there's also another aspect to this, and this is, has to do with the red heifer and the cleansing of the temple and the people. So tell us about the red heifer and what special requirements there are for this. The red heifer is a unique animal that is talked about in Numbers chapter 19. In this passage, it tells us that in order for unclean things or unclean people to become clean, they have to be sprinkled or washed with the ashes of a red heifer mixed with water. But it's not just any red heifer. It has to be a purebred red heifer. So it reads in Numbers 19 verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel that they bring you an unblemished red heifer in which there is no defect and in which a yoke has never been placed. So this has to be a female animal. There's no defect. That means, according to rabbinical tradition, they can have three odd hairs, red or black or something else that isn't perfect red, but everything else in the body has to be perfect. They can't have been yoked, so they can't have been used for any labor at all by the time that the animal is two years old. It goes on in verse 3 and says, And you shall give it to Eleazar the priest, and it shall be brought outside the camp and be slaughtered in his presence. Next, Eleazar the priest shall take some of the blood with his finger and sprinkle some of the blood towards the front of the tent of meeting seven times. And the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its hide and its flesh and its blood with its refuge shall be burned. 
It says in verse 9, A man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them outside the camp in a clean place, and the congregation of the sons of Israel shall keep it as water to remove impurity. It is purification for sin. It says in verse 10, It shall be a perpetual statute to the sons of Israel. There have only been nine red heifers that have ever been used for cleansing in the history of Israel. And their tradition says there's only going to be 10 total. So this last red heifer will need to be found to cleanse the temple mount in order to build the temple. And then the priests have to be cleansed with it so that they are pure. So do we have a red heifer? Right now, the tradition is that they do have a red heifer. They have just found that proof of where the red heifer was sacrificed is on the Mount of Olives underneath a church called Dominant Flevet. We've been in that church. When you stand there, you have a perfect view of the Temple Mount. We just read from Numbers 19 that you take the red heifer to the certain spot. So they will take it out there to that area. They will sacrifice it, and then they will be able to cleanse the temple so that they can properly worship there with cleansed temple and cleansed people. And we're just right on the cusp. The Temple Mount Institute has inaugurated this Raise a Heifer program in Israel, and they believe that they have currently found the red heifer. Just think, it's been 2,000 years since there's been a purebred red heifer to cleanse the people and the temple, and yet it's here in this generation. That tells us how quickly and how soon we are for Jesus to return. But that's not all that's in this passage. In verse 2, it says, And leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations. So perhaps the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women will not be in the actual temple complex. Maybe they'll just get the temple, which is the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, because the rest of the Temple Mount is given to the nations. Well, the nations have it right now in the form of the Muslims. And it says, and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. Now, that's a different theme. First, we're talking about the temple. And now we're talking about the nations treading underfoot the holy city, which is Jerusalem, the holiest city in the world, for 42 months. That tells us for the last half of the tribulation period that the city, the nations, are going to have control of the outside of the temple, and they're going to tread it down. That means to trample, to have in subjection the city of Jerusalem. Well, that goes along with a lot of prophecies in Zechariah that we'll be talking about as we move forward. So we have talked a little bit today about the significance, the importance of the temple and God's holy city. It's the place where the Jews go to worship. Not now, but they will. As we put it into application, we have to ask ourselves, are we desiring to go worship God in church every week as God calls us to, and maybe more frequently, or do we worship God at home? You know, it's really easy these days to sit in front of our television set and watch the church service, but it's not the same thing because God tells us that we are to come together, to gather together in worship. That's important that we do that. It was important for the Jews. It's going to be more important as we near the time of the coming of the Messiah, because then once this temple is built, most of the Jews will have this urgency, this feeling that the Messiah is coming soon, which is awesome because many of them don't believe that right now. Well, we're right there. 
All their articles are ready. The priests have been identified through DNA. They're ready. They've been practicing in a temple mock-up out in the desert by Jericho. They've already developed a new Sanhedrin, which was the religious body at the time of Christ. There's a high priest ready to go. They are ready. They just need access to the Temple Mount. It's around the corner, folks. If you see that temple being built or them having access to the Temple Mount, look up because your redemption draws near. Jesus is ready to come just around the corner. We need to ask ourselves, are we ready? If not, we need to turn to Jesus today, call on him for forgiveness of our sins because things are going to get so much worse and we want to turn to Jesus before that happens. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.